many times we have to look back to be able to see our present with greater clarity and greater insight and also see the future with greater promise. Today is the second part of a very important conversation, a very enjoyable conversation with Kevin Cloud, author of God and Hamilton, Spiritual Themes from the Life of Alexander Hamilton and the Broadway musical he inspired. That musical and lyrics written by Lin-Manuel Miranda tells the story of a what's now known as a forgotten, although not so forgotten anymore, the formerly forgotten, shall we say, founding father of America, Alexander Hamilton, chief of staff on George Washington's army during the Revolutionary War, served in George Washington's uh, first presidential administration, is considered the father of American government today with George Washington being considered the father of the country. The musical was inspired by the 2004 biography Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. I plan on reading it. I'm going to go for all 900 pages. This is Brian Del Turco. Thanks for connecting with me today on Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode 140, God and Hamilton with Kevin Cloud. This is part two of our insightful conversation You can catch part one in episode 139. You can go ahead and listen to this episode now if you haven't heard 139 yet and go back. I think they both stand alone. Alexander Hamilton was a person of initiative, industrious. He was fast. He knew how to overcome resistance. He was a consecrated Christian. He understood the dynamic of God's grace of empowerment in his life. And though he had a midlife crisis, his faith was renewed in the latter part of his life. And the American founders had flaws. They were a broken humanity. And yet the American ideals that we believe God gave them can flourish in what's been known as the American experiment. America is a young nation. It's still maturing. In this episode, we'll talk about slavery. We'll talk about its implications for racial tensions today. Male and female, we'll discuss that dynamic in the church today. In our society today, it was an issue back then. Alexander had a great wife, Eliza, and probably one of the most powerful things you'll hear in this episode as modeled in the life of Alexander Hamilton is how we are called to be co-creators with God. I felt that Kevin Cloud's insights on this were extraordinary. Here's part two of my conversation with Kevin Cloud. Now, Alexander Hamilton was an abolitionist, correct, as, as well as his wife, Eliza? That's my understanding. I mean, again, there's been more articles that have come out recently that have called that into question. But as I've read his biography and, and read, read about that, um, my understanding was that he was an abolitionist and, and did a lot. He wrote a lot and, and spoke a lot about the abolitionist movement. Now, now some of the things I've read is that the Schuyler family did own slaves and that Hamilton married into a family that, that did own slaves. Um, so again, you have a little bit on both sides, even with the, with their family. Okay. Now, were some of the founder, founders, uh, is my understanding that they were conflicted on the issue of slavery and they knew that the, uh, the American ideals that they were, um, you know, purporting in our founding DNA, if we could say that, would eventually have to work itself out into freedom for all. Is, is, that, yeah, is that your take that's on my, it? That's, that's my understanding. I mean, um, certainly they felt the tension yeah. of of a revolution declaring freedom for all men and yet having this brutal system of slavery that was, um, that was underlying the entire thing in a lot of ways, especially in the South, obviously. Um, 
And, and even, even after the government was built, uh, the founding fathers, I think one of their huge mistakes was they really punted the issue of slavery. There was a basically a moratorium that was put in place that um, as the South and North came together to try to build this government, right. they basically said, we're not even going to have the conversation. And I don't remember if it was for 50 years or 70 years. There's a, there's a number of years where that original group of founding fathers basically said, right? we're not even going to bring up slavery. Well, the Southern colonies would not have even signed on to anything, would they have? That's exactly right. I mean, they couldn't have built a nation. They would have never agreed to it if, yeah. if slavery was even on the table. And so so they put they take slavery off the table, which, which in a lot of ways led directly to the Civil the war. I sure. mean, it was inevitable that that would happen. Yeah, about seventy um, years, about about seventy years later, that's it. It it, it surfaced, didn't it? So, so a lot of that really does point back to this this failure that the founding fathers had of how to reconcile the issue of slavery. And the truth was, there wasn't an easy way to reconcile it. I don't know what they could have done differently, but I do know the idea of just punting it down the road. All that did is is left future generations to deal with it. And I think that's a relevant conversation for us today. You know, as as a white man today, with what's happening in our culture, I am trying as hard as I can to listen and to learn as much as I possibly can about the experience of people of color in our country and what we must do today to rectify um, ongoing racism, to live as an anti-racist, and to do anything and everything that I can possibly do to help move that down the road. And um, it's a good lesson for us today of not punting that conversation down the road again and doing everything we can do to engage, to listen, and try to heal these, these deep wounds in our country that stem all the way back to the yeah. beginnings of slavery. America's really been on a quest, hasn't she, um, to, to f- really fulfill her ideals. We've been making progress, but, no it, but the, but the quest no continues, question. doesn't it? Well, in the, in, in the very last monologue that Hamilton has, I, he has a line that I think is so beautiful. He calls America the unfin- an unfinished symphony. Oh my goodness! And that's I think even that t- today is a beautiful is a beautiful challenge and an inspiring challenge to just say this is this this symphony that's being written, but it is not finished and it is not done. And it was just the opening. It was just it. the opening movement, wasn't it? His era. That's right. That's right. And we still are on a quest to find equality, um, racial equality, gender equality. Um, I mean, the immigration issue is such a huge issue today, and there's all these issues that we have to keep pressing into, and we have to, as people of faith keep trying to ask the question, what is God, what does equality look like when God says that there is no Jew, no Gentile, but that we are all one in Christ? What does that look like? And how do we embody that in our nation today? No male, no female. Now, what about sexism? Um, Is it my understanding that Alexander and his wife, uh, Eliza, were were they anti-sexism in their day? You know, I, I honestly maybe I'm can't wrong speak, on that. I don't know. I can't speak very intelligently to that question. I can speak to the musical and how the musical, I think, does a brilliant job of putting Eliza and Angelica at the center of the story as smart, intelligent um, women. In fact, there's a great line in the musical where Angelica is talking about um, Thomas Jefferson writing the Declaration of Independence. And she says, when I meet Tom, Thomas Jefferson, I'm going I'm to compel him to include women in the sequel. Okay. And just this idea that, 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 that not all men, but everybody is created equal, including, including women. And I think the musical did a great job of, of putting women at the center of it and putting strong women characters at the center of it and really making the case that even Alexander Hamilton, as much as he accomplished, would have been almost even more forgotten had it not been for his wife, Eliza, and her continuing on his legacy and really making sure that his legacy lasted. And women, of course, couldn't vote in that time and really all through the 1800s. Really, the women's right. suffrage movement was not until the early 20th century, correct? Right, Where That's women, right. women received the right to vote and all throughout the 20th century and into our time, we've seen, even in the church today, I'm hopeful. We have four daughters, you see. You know, I have some fairly strong views about the uh, 
that I believe God is empowering women in the body of Christ, you know, um, empowering women in the kingdom of God. There's something very powerful, certainly in a marriage, but also just within the church itself when men and women stand together. It's a very powerful thing. Yeah, there's no uh, question. And there's, there's also no question that women's voices historically have been silenced. Yeah. And that even today, women's voices in the church continue to be silenced. I mean, just recently, I mean, I'm, a, I'm in the evangelical um, world and I've, I've been a church planner and, and that's kind of the, the ministry world I've lived in. But, but as recently as maybe, I don't know, I want to say 10 years ago, I had a, um, a guest preacher in my church that was a woman and, and we had a, a, a man stand up and walk out of the church service. Because he didn't believe that that women should be preaching in church, and that this is this is in Kansas City ten years ago, and so um, you know that's a that's a more overt way, but the small ways that that women's voices are not being listened to, not being honored, not being heard, we just have so much work to do in that area um, as well as the church and as people of faith. Yeah. Now he was an outsider. He was an immigrant, and I I was stunned to read that like John Adams and others used incredible. <laughs> Um, insults against him, you know, calling him a bastard and, you know, calling him a foreigner. And I didn't realize John Adams was like that um, myself. He was very instrumental in the Constitution. But but obviously there was strong feelings about outsiders and foreigners. And of course, America is a nation built upon immigration. Right. Well, and that's what's so fascinating about that time is that you have these founding fathers who had only been there for a generation or two. Yeah now all of a sudden have apparently become the quintessential Americans, whereas someone like Alexander Hamilton, who comes from the Caribbean, he wasn't accepted. And 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 you see really throughout the musical this theme of him just, just striving for equality, striving to be treated as an, as an equal person in, the, in this government. And in some ways, the American experiment was really beautiful because it gave someone like Alexander Hamilton an opportunity to do what he did. You know, sure. there wasn't other country in the world at that time where where someone like Alexander who didn't have money, who didn't have family connections, who was an immigrant could have become what he became. Um, America was really the first true meritocracy. Uh, Whereas, whereas all the other uh, countries and certainly Britain that we were, we were fighting against, if he was a British soldier, that's all he ever would have been. He never would have moved up in the rank to become a general or to have leadership opportunities. It just never would have happened. But so in that way that the American experiment really was beautiful. And yet even on the other side of winning and becoming our own country, you see, um, you see him treated as a second-class citizen at times. You see people talk down to him because he's a, because he is an immigrant. And even interestingly, even Alexander himself, the longer he was in government, the longer he was in America, he started even to have some views where he didn't trust as much foreigners' perspective or people that hadn't been in America as long. So even you see him begin to make that shift in some of his writings and some of his ideas about immigrants coming to America. And so it's it's always been an issue, and obviously it's an issue that's in the center of our cultural conversation today. And, and one of those issues that, again, we just have to go back to the scriptures and ask God what it looks like to consider all people one in Christ. Yeah, from many one. What is it? E pluribus unum. Um, yeah. from, from, from many one. And I've heard it said that America is really, I think the only example in world history of a nation built around ideals and not like ethnicity or the legacy of a monarchy or, or, you know, something like that. As immigrants come in, we've had many, many millions of immigrants, of course, over our history come in and, and, um, who aspire to these American ideals and, and want to adopt them. And I guess, I guess that's the idea of America is that you come here and embrace these ideals. <laughs> I don't I, know. I think so. I mean, I, I agree with that. And I think 
I mean, every one of us can draw our roots back to someone who came across the ocean or who came here sure. from somewhere else. Every one of us. I mean, I have Irish roots. I have English roots. And so, so my people, my family, they came here looking for a better life. And that's true of people today. And so I guess for me, I don't, I don't understand how, how I, someone like myself could sit here and say, well, it was okay for my family to come here however many years ago, but it's not okay for people to come anymore. Yeah. And it's just such a, it's such a hard issue. I know there's a lot of different um, issues politically and issues economically and issues with just how the process works. And, right. and there's so many difficult issues about it, but I just think the, the big, for me, at least I come at it with the posture of saying as a follower of Christ, um, I, I keep coming back to this passage of what does it look like to treat everyone as equal, to treat everyone as one. And, and I think even more than that, the idea that as, as follower of Jesus, my, my loyalty is to the gospel, is to the kingdom of God, even more to the country that I live in. Sure. And so I think that's another thing we get confused about a lot that we have to keep rem- reminding ourselves as well. Yeah, Thomas Paine was an outsider, right? He wrote Common Sense, which was right. highly instrumental in the revolution. And later, That's right. Later wrote American Crisis, which I think was, uh, was it instrumental with the Constitution or just after the Constitution? Uh, no, so the American Crisis, I actually have a, I have a printed copy of it on my wall, um, kind of an inspiration wall down by my piano downstairs where I do all my writing cool. and my the music writing. But um, I, I have a printed copy of it from the actual print house that would have done some of the original printing back in Boston oh, awesome. um, around the Revolutionary War. Um, but the American Crisis was written at really the low point of the Revolutionary War when it looked as if the cause was lost. Um, soldiers had only signed up for, I think, a year term type of a thing. And, and thousands of soldiers were about to basically walk away from the army in the middle of, of, of this, this battle in the very first year of war. And Thomas Paine wrote this, this, um, this, this piece called The American Crisis really to inspire people around the, around the American cause. And many people think that had that not been written, um, the revolution might have ended differently. In fact, there's, a, there's a, another album called The Hamilton Mixtape which are some different songs and some of the songs that didn't make it into the musical, but that Hamilton or that Lynn Daniel Miranda had written. And there is a song about the American crisis about Thomas Paine writing that. And to me, it's just a beautiful example of the power of, of the written word and the power of imagination that, that can inspire people and cast vision for people for what's, for what um, life can look like. And, and for me as a writer, it really inspires me to do this work and, and to try to use my voice and my words to inspire people as well. Yes, absolutely. Kevin, how can we partner with God? I know you have a strong idea about partnering with God to bring redemption to the entire creation. Yeah. Maybe not just a gospel of like sin management, as Dallas Willard might call it, and sort of attending church and going to heaven someday. But how can we partner with God to bring like reconciliation or redemption to the entire creation? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a really big proponent about the creative act. As I travel and speak about my book, God in Hamilton, I also do this workshop about creativity and faith okay. and how we, how we live at the intersection of creativity and faith. And we look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the idea that God is a creative God and that we're made in God's image. And that the very first thing we see human beings do in scripture is they partner with God in the creative act as they name the animals that God has created. Yes, They engage with God in naming, which is what God does in Genesis 1. Now humanity is is carrying Ah. that work on. And so I just think anytime we create that we are doing remarkably important and spiritual work, that when we write, that when we... When people write musicals, when people create movies, when people paint, when people start new organizations, when people plant churches, when people build new relationships with people in need, any and every time we create, I think we're doing incredibly redemptive work. And I think that's 
a call of what it means to be fully human. I think it's what it means to be made in the image of creative God. And I think that when we do creative work, we're doing redemptive work and that that's a calling on each and every one of our lives. When I do these workshops, um, you know, I, I oftentimes I'll have people who say, I'm not a creative person. I don't know how to play music or I don't know how to paint. Um, but the truth is creative work can look, it, creative work is, is, has a thousand different expressions. Sure. And each one of us, I think, is called to live creatively. And the more that we lean into that call, the more redemption that we'll see in the lives of those around us. I love that. Okay, now, you know, just this morning, I released an episode, episode 138, called You Have the Authority to Name Things. Hmm. And, love that. Um, this is going, your, your episode is 139. So I encourage you to go back, listener, and listen to 138. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I'll have but, to check it out. Uh, yeah, I'm encouraging the listener. If you, it, I'd be honored to have you listen to it as well. But do you see in that act something more is happening there than just related to the animal kingdom, that this is sort of an archetype or a, a precedent of our function in being able to, the way I put it was, look into God's creation. It's, it's stunning. God says, well, it says the animals were brought before him to see what God wants to see, what he would call right. them. Yeah, yeah. I do a whole segment on this on Genesis 1 and 2 in my workshop, and I think it's a profound passage of Scripture. So Genesis 1, you know, the Bible could have started anywhere, and it could have taught us anything about God. And the very first thing that the Bible teaches us about God is that God is a creative God. And that's profound to me. That, you know, primacy of place is always important in Scriptures. And so the idea that the first thing we learn about God is that He's creative. And then the entire chapter Genesis 1 is is showing us about how God not only loves to create, but takes the act very seriously. And he creates trees and he creates animals and he creates ocean creatures. And But he doesn't just create a fish. He creates millions of different kinds of species Teaming, that live in the yes. ocean. And, yeah. and, um, and so uh, we see that throughout Genesis 1. And at the end of Genesis 1, we're told that we're created in God's image three times. It says we are made in God's image. And I think what that's getting at is that if all we've learned about God up to this point is that God is a creative God, and then we're immediately told we're made in his image, then I think that's directly saying that you're called to create, that mm-hmm. you're called to finish out this work. And then in, in chapter two, that you're exactly right. We see God inviting mankind into the creative process. It's stunning to me that the language I like to use is that God steps aside and allows mankind to engage now and to name the animals and to participate with God in the creative process. There's another commentary that I read that says that mankind and God stood shoulder to shoulder, creating together, naming these animals. I and that. I love I love that image. And this musical that I'm writing, um, I actually started it about seven years ago. I was at a really dark place. Um, some ministry stuff I tried had failed. And I was in the corporate world and I was trying to get back into ministry, but doors weren't opening. And I was, I was depressed for probably six to nine months. And, but then I had this idea for a musical and, and the story is crazy. It's about, a, it's a story of um, dancing bears whose daughter wants to be the world's first singing and dancing bear. So it's kind of about chasing impossible dreams and kind of the power of inviting other people into that dream. But I love the image of, of when I went down and started playing those songs, I felt a spark of hope and light come into my heart for the first time in a long, long time. I was in a dark place. And I love the idea of sitting at that piano and, and sitting shoulder to shoulder with God as I do that creative work, as I write songs, as I write lyrics, as I create things. And I think that's what we see Adam doing in Genesis chapter two. So it's not just, you know, showing dominion over the animal kingdom. I think it's, it's God showing us this is what your call is. You know, I think today God is calling each and every one of us to create, and then he creates space for us to enter into that call. And then he stands shoulder to shoulder with us to see what we will do with that creative call in our lives. Wow. 
That is so good. That is so good. Yeah, it's really an archetype, isn't it? It's not just about. I an- think so. It's not just about animals or to find a suitable help meet. Well, we're thankful that he didn't find a mate from the animal kingdom, aren't we? <laughs> that there right. was a, right. fur- a further creation of on on that edge right That's there. Right. But you and, know, and, and archetype because he because Adam names the animals, and that's what God just did throughout the first chapter of Genesis. God creates light, and then He names it light. God creates um, land, mm. and then he names it. He creates it, and then he names it. And that's exactly what we see Adam doing in Genesis chapter 2. Well, I appreciate all of this so much, Kevin. So what are you working on right now? What's uh, what's what's coming over the near horizon? Yeah, so I have another book idea. Actually, I have a couple book ideas, but the one that I'm, I'm cranking on now um, is really about the power of story um, and how God can use story to transform our lives. And then looking at different stories, um, similar to the Hamilton book, but looking at different stories and the way that we can see God in these stories and the way that these stories then can move us and transform our lives today. Mm. And so that's a book I'm working on. I've, I've also mentioned a couple of times I'm working on a musical called Roar, which is this story of, of this, this family of dancing bears that uh, have a daughter who wants to become the world's first singing and dancing bear. And in a lot of ways, that, that story feels relevant to what's happening in our culture today in the sense of someone standing up and saying, hey, my voice matters and my voice needs to be heard and my voice needs to be accepted as equal in this world. And that's really what um, Sarah the Bear is, is the journey that she's on. It's this impossible dream of trying to live that out and then eventually realizing that dream and inviting other bears into that journey with her. So okay. um, those are the couple of the big projects I'm working on. It's obviously a kind of a fantasy world that we've created with talking bears and Sarah runs yeah, off to the circus run by evil clowns and it's just kind of a crazy fantasy world. But um, those are the two main projects I'm working on right now. Great. So you have the website godandhamilton.com. With, is that your... Um is that the main place you yeah, direct people to? Yeah, that's the book to? website. Actually, actually, to connect with me, um, I have another website, kevincloud.me, and you can learn about kind of my creativity and faith workshop and my book, and that's probably the best place to connect with me. Also, my social handle is kevincloudkc, and so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook under that handle as well. Superb. This will all be on the show notes page. Go there. Go there and continue to follow what's happening. I appreciate this, Kevin. Thank you so much, and you've really inspired me to read the large biography on Alexander Hamilton as well. Uh, you should. It's outstanding. It's, it, it is a very large, I mean, it's like 900 pages. I know. I could not put it down. I read it in like two weeks. It was really it was a wonderful story. It's so fascinating. Such a fascinating man, but also such a fascinating time for our country, obviously. So yeah, I, I would highly recommend that. And then there's another book called Hamilton, the Revolution, which is all about um, the making of the musical. And it's stories of the actors and the choreographers and 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 the people who wrote hmm. it and the yeah. director. And it is another really fascinating book that I would encourage people to check out as well. Yeah, and if you can see this on Disney Plus right now, right? There, there's a, a video rendition of this production on uh, Disney Plus. And your yep, book is, right. is God and Hamilton, the spiritual themes from the life of Alexander Hamilton and the Broadway musical he inspired. Would you recommend David McCullough's book, 1776? I've read that one as well. And I, I think anything he's written is wonderful. And um, yeah, that was one of the other books as I was just hammering through books on the Founding Fathers and Hamilton um, that I read as well. And yeah, it's it's fascinating. That book, I, if I remember correctly, it's a pretty short timeline. It's only a few months leading up to the beginning of the Revolutionary War and then really just fall and then into the winter of 1777, I think is what that book covers. And it's fascinating and, and remarkable. Anything he writes is, is outstanding. I have one last question for you, David. Maybe I could consult with you as a creative. <laughs> I'm launching a new website called Pray American DNA. Hmm. And what I'm going to be looking at is 
from Plymouth on upward through the revolution, maybe even up through the Constitutional Convention, that whole era. But looking at covenants that were made, prayers that were prayed, maybe some sermons, leading sermons that were, you know, delivered, and perhaps paraphrasing this this DNA, if you will, this American DNA, American ideals, and learning how to pray in that same language today, and sort yeah. of sort of yeah. in, sort of entering into a. I believe that prayers are eternal. You know, they're set before the Father sure. as incense, yes. and, and we can stream our prayers even now with the early part of our country, so that we can move towards a fulfillment of American ideals. What What do you think about this concept? Putting myself on the out on the line here. Yeah. But you... no, I, I love it, man. I love it. I mean, I think that um, I think that so much of the American experiment was founded upon Christian ideals. I mean, I really do. I know there's a lot of debate about that and argument about, about that and whether or not the founding fathers were really Christian people, but I know there was a mix of like of, enlightment ideas were in the mix and sure, Greco, sure, of course. And Greco Roman ideas, mix. but but certainly there yes, was a of course it was a mixed bag. That's that's sure. That's sure. Um, but I think that, I mean, even the idea of democracy and freedom for everyone. Mm-hmm. And again, I know that we still haven't gotten there and we're still working towards that. But is there a more Christian idea than in the equality of every man, every woman, every child, freedom for every man, every woman, every child? And so I love the idea of trying to connect um, those, what's good about America and, and the good aspects of who we are and what we do and trying to connect those to these, the, the ideas of how we can be praying um, those ideas back to God and asking God for those to, to come to bear on this world. And so fruition. I love it, man. Yeah. I think it's great. I love it. I love it. Great. All right. Well, thank you for being with us, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to look forward to staying in touch and continue to follow what you're doing. Go to the show notes page. Thank you for being with us, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was an honor to be on your show and really, really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I truly do appreciate the work of Kevin Cloud. This is episode 140. You can catch part one of this conversation, episode 139. Go to the show notes page for this episode at jesusmart.com slash Hamilton. There you will see links and resources and opportunities for you to dive deeper on the themes we've uh, pursued in these two episodes. Kevin Cloud's website is kevincloud.me. M-E, living out your creative calling and sharing your unique gifts for the good of the world. The book website is godandhamilton.com. I encourage you to go to both of those digital assets to dive deeper with Kevin Cloud. To learn more about the podcast, go to jesussmart.com. When you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, it helps to not only keep you more in touch with the podcast, but it pushes it out to more people. We appreciate that. Would you share this with one or two of your friends? Podcast listeners are insightful. They tend to be thinkers. Share this with one or two of your friends that you feel would benefit and would be encouraged by the content in these two episodes. When you go to JesusSmart.com, there's an opportunity for you to subscribe to an e-letter, which goes out periodically, next level basic elements to further develop as a Christ follower and as an apprentice of his kingdom. Well, I'm inspired. I'm encouraged. Jesus is brilliant. 
we are living now, we can live now if we understand as a Christ follower in the light of the age which is to come. Jesus knows how life works best. The new heavens and the new earth are on the not too distant horizon and Jesus is going to bring that. The future belongs to him and so does the present. See you next time.